0: I'm actually going to read, uh, just go back a little bit, and I'm going to start in Psalm 99, 9. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture, into the gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. You may take your seats. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Father in heaven, you alone are worthy of praise and thanksgiving. You alone are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, all things exist. You are holy, you are a righteous God, and you've made us to worship. Your word calls us to worship you in spirit. And in truth. Father, I pray that you would teach us and shape us that we might daily remember why we're here. The month of November, Father, is a time we typically set aside to give thanks. But may it be said of us that our lives manifest praise and thanksgiving 12 months of the year and not simply in one. We have much to be thankful for. You have initiated an invitation, Father, like no other. To be a part of your work, to be a part of your mission, part of your purposes. Be a part of your church. Father, may we be grateful that you would care so much for us. To invite us into your presence. What a privilege. What a Savior. May your word, Lord, be exalted this morning and received for the truth that it is. We thank you, Father, for being good to us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Today may very well be a day when some of you receive an invitation. Next Sunday, November 24th, is Hospitality Sunday. Hint, hint, Some of you may receive an invitation. Some of you may be about giving an invitation. At some point, you issue an invitation for someone else to come over into your home. And you know, opening your home is much more than having a family over for a meal, Right? The invitation to come into your home is a privilege. It's a privilege for others coming into your home. Time spent in one's home provides a window. I want you to listen to this. This is very important because time spent in one's home, it provides a window into what your family is all about. How you live, how you operate, how you speak to one another. What you think about worship. Your real colors typically blossom inside the walls of your home. An invitation to come over is a call to join your family. It's a line of hospitality. I think of the the line that goes out in the fishing. It's a line that goes out. It's being offered to another brother or sister, to come. And behind it all is a heart of love for people. People we should have a heart to love being connected one to another in the body of Christ. You know, it would be strange as we think about and consider this invitation to come to one's home, it would be strange to go to one's house without first receiving an invitation. customary to first receive an invite. Maybe some of you have received an invitation of late this past year perhaps to a wedding. Someone that you know well and you've looked forward to being there in attendance to see their lives come together in marriage and here again oftentimes in a wedding you need an invitation. An invitation is usually sent out for you to come to the wedding Around May and June of every year, it seems as though there are many invitations that go out in regard to open houses. There are young people who are graduating from high school and graduating from college. And there is an invite to come and celebrate the goodness of God in the lives of these young men and women. Do you know Jesus himself offered a few invitations during the course of his ministry? I was reminded of a few this week as I was thinking about this text. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is a wonderful invitation. Come to me, he says. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And what's he say? I will give you rest. John seven thirty seven. On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stands up and he cries out and he says, if anyone thirsts, Let him what? Come to me and drink. Or Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Same Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verse 22. Jesus, when he heard these things from the rich young ruler... Remember, he said, All these things I've kept, what what am I still lacking here? And Jesus says, One thing you lack sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And here it is and come, follow me. Churches, I've been reading the text this week, I've discovered something about this 100th psalm. This is an invitation to worship the Lord, the King of Kings, it's an invite. This morning, you are welcomed to worship the Lord. It's what we have right here in Psalm 100. An invitation from the king. It's a true call to worship the Lord. On seven occasions, in fact, in five verses, the psalmist exhorts the listener to action. Make a joyful shout. Serve the Lord. Come before his presence there. If we don't see the invitation anywhere else, we can see it real specifically right there. Come into his presence. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name. I want you to think about this this morning. God has issued you an invitation to come unto himself and worship. I'd like you to consider for just a moment as you hold that thought. The nature of the Psalms. We we started we read Psalm 92 last week. We're in Psalm 100 this week, and we'll be in Psalm 107 next week. As we think about the Psalms and studying the Psalms, I believe it's important that we know what they are. And I just want to give you five handles on, on what they are. Real quick bullets. We had this exercise in our family this week around the, around the lunch table. First of all, let's think about a Psalm as a poem. For after all, it does fit into the genre of books of wisdom and poetry, does it not? In scripture. A poem. It's a song. A collection of psalms. 150 of them that we have. They, this is a collection that was used as the temple songbook for the Jewish people. They sang these psalms. Third, prayer. It's unmistakable. Did you read the psalms? Unmistakable. Prayers to God. Fourth, praise. In fact, if you look at Psalm 135, Psalm 138, Psalms 146 through 150, how do they begin? Praise the Lord. That's how they begin. And some of them end that way too. They're kind of bracketed and bookend with praise to the Lord. Fifth, these psalms are expressions of worship. Many of these psalms written privately, written individual. But they're intended, let's remember, they're intended for public use. They were collected and sung together as an assembly. Expressions of worship. In church this morning, whether you realize it or not, God has made you to be a worshiper. Not of other things, but of him. One writer said all of human history could be described as a story about worship. Will man worship God as he was created to do? Will he be a worshiper in spirit and truth? Or will man worship the creation and self rather than the creator? Romans chapter 1. This is the great drama, he writes, of human history. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, about this sinful pattern of men and the kind of worshiping that had been going on. The kind, by the way, that still shows its head even today. speaking of these fools in context, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What did they do? They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They made an exchange. Church, you have an invitation this morning from the word in Psalm 100 to enter into worship before the Lord God Almighty. And too many have settled for worshiping other things in this world. You've given yourself over perhaps to your work. To your latest hobby. To your online activity. To your children's activities. However good and godly they may be. They have consumed some of your hearts. Your hearts are entrenched. Some of you perhaps have been giving yourself over to the next family vacation. All that needs to happen and come to reality before we go on this trip of a lifetime. For some of you, maybe your favorite sports team or sports in general. Your heart is there. Some of you know more statistics about your favorite players than you do about what the Word of God says. You've given your heart over to the creature. Church, some of you have made the exchange. Given your heart to the creature, to the things of the world, to the temporary, to the stuff that's going to fade away. It's going to burn up, the Bible says. And in exchange, you have given God very little, if any, of your time and attention. And most importantly, your heart. Church, this is not just my opinion the Bible speaks to this in Malachi, the prophet, the last of the books of the Old Testament. Let me, let me give you one verse. Because Malachi says this in chapter 1, verse 14. They were bringing, he's, it's, it's a condemnation, an exhortation. Hey, why are you doing this? They were bringing animals, not spotless, perfect animals, to sacrifice Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Church, have we, have we settled into this? Have we been in the routine now, in the rut, if you will, of bringing to God our leftovers Bringing to him those things that are blemished. We need to remember, and Malachi the prophet reminds us of this. This God we serve, this God who calls us into, has invited us into worship, is a great king. And we're going to see today, even in the Psalm, Psalm 100, this king that we serve is good. Amen? He's good. God desires worshipers and spirit and truth. He desires your undivided attention. He desires that you bring Him your best. Some of you may be thinking that you're doing God a favor by showing up here on Sunday morning. He's not interested so much in your faithful attendance as He is in your faithful heart. Are you living for the things of God or the things of man? Do you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And then how does that get played out in your life? Because many of you know that passage of Scripture. But the question is, how does that get played out? How does that actually take feet and exercise in faith? How do we do that? What's that look like? Psalm 100 is a psalm of worship. Worship is what he's created us for. And as people of God, worshiping God alone ought to come as no surprise, God alone. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. God on many occasions throughout the Old Testament, he calls his people away. You remember this. it's, It's there quite often in the Old Testament. He's calling his people away, time and again, from the worship of idols created by men, and he draws them back to himself, and he reminds them, and he says, I am the Lord, your God. You see, worship is rooted, church, in God's nature. Who he is. The psalm is going to point out how important it is to know God. It's going to point us and it's going to ground us in who he is. That's the starting point for our worship. Let's, let's be clear God, not me, not my desires, not what I like, but God. Worship is also rooted in his character, God's character, his mercy, his truth, his faithfulness, his shepherd king attributes. They draw us, ought to draw us into worship because, you see, because he's faithful and just, I can trust that when I confess my sins to him, he will forgive my sins and he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1 verse 9. Because God is good, I can trust that no matter what my circumstance, God is at work conforming me into the image of his son. Romans 8, 28 through 30. You see worship flows out of the heart as a response to what God has done. We talked about thanksgiving to God being you know a worshipful response. Worship involves not only heart but it involves our mind as the scriptures renew us each day pointing us toward God through Jesus Christ. Worship is not so much church an activity as it is a life. It involves our whole being. It's intended to be our course of living here as we await our time with Jesus himself, worshiping the lamb seated on the throne. Are you looking forward to that day? I am. I'm looking forward to that. John, you see, who had taken in all that he was shown by the Lord, he falls down. You might remember this in Revelation 22. He falls down before the feet of the angel who had showed him all these things. In Revelation 22, verse 9, the angel says to John... See that you do not do that for I am your fellow servant and your brethren of the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Listen to what he says to John. Worship God. That's what he told John, Revelation chapter 22. Let's be mindful of who it is we're to worship because you see, I think sometimes we have been mistaken. We've, we've decided we're gonna worship the creature. We're gonna worship this thing. We're gonna worship this idea, this experience. Let me remind you this morning, church. Church. As a child of the king, we've been called to worship God through Jesus Christ. That's who it is we're to worship. It's important we remember this. And it's also important in that same Revelation 22 context, worship God. This is spoken right before verse 10, same chapter, Revelation 22. Verse 10 says, For the time is at hand. I want you to see something. The Bible puts this connection together. This urgency of worshiping God today while you still have breath of life. Church, the time is at hand. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The days of playing church are over. They're over. The honeymoon period, if you will, in the body here at Hope in Christ. It's done. It's gone. Men and women, worship the Lord your God. Children, all those gadgets, toys that you spend a lot of time with. That possibly have your heart. I want you to listen to the word. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah the prophet instructs us here. Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. He says this. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods, walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. I'm afraid some may be coming and sitting in the house of the Lord here on Sundays as though this serves as some atonement for the abominations you are participating in during the week. This is not some safe base. You know, in the game, you've played the game. Growing up, you play the game of base. You have tag and I'm here and no one can touch me. No one can do anything to me. This is the house of God. Happens to be a school building. It's a place where we meet together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's not a den of thieves. It's not a place where professing Christians gather only to return to sinful, habitual patterns Monday through Saturday. Let me remind you, God sees what you're doing. And by the way, this affects all Does this affect your worship? See, your worship may not be what it could be before God because of this life that you're living. It's difficult to worship the Lord together as a body of believers when worship has been absent in your life all week. The call to worship spoken of in Psalm 100 is a call to worship God with your life. You see, this compartmentalization of your faith. See that it takes no foothold, please, church. Think about what happens when you live a double life. You not only pretend on the one hand, but you are blaspheming the name of God. You know, according to the principle we see in Romans 2.24, I wonder if the name of God is regularly, among his own people, is regularly blasphemed among the nations. The invitation this morning is to worship God, the king of creation. See what he's revealed right here in his word. See it as an invitation to come unto himself, to enter in. So, Psalm 100, verse 1, let's look. First of all, who is invited to worship the Lord? Who? Who's invited to worship the Lord? Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Here it is. All you lands. Or some of your translations, all lands. The earth. Is that not a big invite? It sounds a little bit like the big invite that we read about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whoever. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands. It's broad. The psalmist must cause all the lands, all the earth to worship the Lord. That may sound a little bit impossible, sound outlandish, maybe, maybe. But what does the Bible say? Oh, whenever we come to a scripture and we're just wrestling with, wow, how can that be? What does the Bible say? I'm reminded of the passage in Philippians chapter 2 when I read this verse. And this passage comes in context in light of Christ's humility. Remember, he became obedient even to death on the cross. And then we read right after that, therefore... God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Psalm 95 verses 1 and 2 in case you're wondering is directed directed. At the child of the king. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. That's the same phrase right here in Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. You see, God's people are to be about shouting out his glory. Wonderful God, the rock of our salvation. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. The invitation is for all to come and worship the Lord, all the lands, all the earth. Yes, it goes out to them. But it also goes out to those who bear the name of Jesus, who have God as their rock and redeemer. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Question. What are the implications of this call going out to the nations? As a child of the king, you need to remember that you are witnesses to Jesus. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if the invite is to all the lands, then church, we have much work to do. Amen. We have much work to do because, you see, God is using you and he's using me as his children, as his sheep to bring others in. Oh, he does the transforming work. He does that, but he uses us. Praise the Lord. We, we get invited in and then he's going to use us for his glory. If you are a child of God. You've been given, it says make a joyful shout. You've been given joy, church, that can never be taken away. The kind of shouting, the kind of praising, the kind of thanksgiving evident in the life of God's child is characterized by joy. Joy in your heart manifests itself outwardly. You've heard me say this on many, many occasions. I always like to take advantage of it, though, whenever that text provides itself. Joy in my heart ought to be reflected right here, right on my face. People ought to be able to see the light of Christ in our heart. It ought to shine. Not many days from now, you'll be hearing joy to the world. Why? The song answers the question. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. See Psalm 100 verse 1. It's a call to make a joyful shout to the Lord. The invitation is for all the lands to do so. And the God we worship church is worthy to be praised. He alone is God. There is none like him. None like him. Why then the hesitancy to make a joyful shout to the Lord? Are you more concerned about what that person next to you thinks as you sing or as you pray or or whatever it is you may be doing in a time when we're gathered together? Are you consumed in worshiping your God and King? Let the shouts of men be directed to the Lord. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, the text says. And may your worship be characterized with the joy of the Lord within you. Psalm 100 also establishes, having been invited to worship the Lord, how then does one worship the Lord? How? How then does one worship the Lord? The psalmist gives us some handles, verses 2, 3, and 4. Serve the Lord with gladness, first of all. Serve the Lord with gladness. The first thing I'd like to point out here in how we worship, according to Psalm 100, serve Him. Serve Him. Serve the Lord with gladness. One of the ways that you worship the Lord is through serving Him. Now, when many of you think about serving, you might be inclined to think about acts of kindness that you do. Opening the door for someone as they come in. Mowing the grass for someone. Ministering at a nearby nursing home, perhaps. Running an errand for someone. These are examples of serving. But I would ask the question is worship about doing an act of kindness for the Lord God. See, when the psalmist writes about serving the Lord, how is a child of God to go about this? How do you serve the Lord primarily? Is it not through a life of worship? A life not so consumed in what you do, albeit what you do does matter to God but in who you are, a life of habitual service unto the Lord where we repeat as Isaiah did, here I am, Lord, send me. Remember that? Use me, Lord. I'm available to be spent for you, for your purposes, for your glory. Today, there may be a lot of things on my plate that I know I need to get done, Lord, but if there's an opportunity to be of service to you, Lord, I desire to be a part of it, I'm available, use me. Not only is the call to serve the Lord, but it is a call to do so with gladness. Gladness. Does the opportunity to participate in worshiping God exhibit gladness of spirit in you or drudgery, duty? I'll participate because no one else seems to be doing it. Or I haven't done this in a while, so I better do it this week. So we serve the Lord out of guilt. Serve the Lord with gladness. Remember, He is our great King. He is our great God. He has invited us in to worship. We ought to serve Him with gladness. One writer says, sometimes when we're asked to serve the Lord in a particular way, we reluctantly accept. But we do so only out of a sense of obligation. When that happens, we need to pray for a willing spirit so that we can serve the Lord with gladness. That's where we need to be. That's where all of us need to be. Serving the Lord with gladness. It ought to be a pleasure to worship God. It ought to be a joy to serve Him as a part of this body. It ought to be a delight to serve the Lord of lords. Are you serving the Lord, church, with gladness? That's the question put before you this morning from the text. Are you serving Him with gladness? not just here in a building on a Sunday. I'm not talking just about the confines of two, three, four hours that we're here. I'm talking about throughout the entirety. This worship that we give to our king is our life. So it's serving the Lord with gladness, mostly outside these walls. That means at home, children, let me press this one step further. You may have some responsibilities in the home. You may have laundry to do. You may have dishes to do. You may have school uh, work schoolwork to do. You may have all kinds of things, responsibilities at home that you need to do. Guess what? This text applies even in that arena. Serve the Lord with gladness. Because the Bible says that we're to do all things, are we not? Give him glory. All things are for him. Serve him with gladness. It'll transform the way you do everything. What about sing to him, verse 2? Not only serve him, but sing to him. Come before his presence with singing. You know, it's interesting that the psalm is a song. Songs are meant to be sung. God has revealed to you, right here, a collection of songs in his word. And in the midst of one of those songs, there's an imperative to sing to him. Isn't that interesting? It seems like there's an assumption put forth here. And that is that the invitation to worship is an invitation to sing unto the Lord. So, have you thought about people? Sometimes I think about people that, that I'd like to interview at some point. You ever had that kind of conversation? You know, people maybe in the Bible that, oh, I'd love to have just to sit down and have an interview and talk. And there are two people. As I read this psalm, two people came immediately to mind. One of them was David and one of them was Asaph. I I just would love to have had the opportunity to sit down and have that conversation with him. These were two men who valued worship in song. Two men who valued worship through instrumentals. Two men who brought into the Lord's house a love for God and a love for music. The imperative here is to come into his presence with something. In this case, singing. We sing primarily, church, to the Lord. This removes many of the excuses, many of the reasons for not singing. Your singing is a means of worship done unto the Lord, and you were called to this as you come before Him. So the invitation to worship that's held out right here in Psalm 100 is also an invitation to sing to the Lord. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. And you can just think of songs. You probably know many songs that talk about singing unto him. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. What do we have to sing about there? We've been redeemed. That's what we have to sing about. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. His child forever I am. Third, third, Verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Serve him. Sing to him. Third, submit to him. Submit. The kind of worship that's called for by the psalmist is submissive to God in all things. The call here is to know that the Lord, he is God. Not not some intellectual assent that he's got. Oh yeah, I know he's God. But this real, vital, personal relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ that gets manifested through a life of submission, a spirit of humility, and a willing, obedient spirit to his word. I want you to consider that many around you have yet to submit, have yet to surrender their lives to God through Jesus Christ. Many continue living as though God were not present. He is the one who made us and not we ourselves. Creation is God's work. Church, I want to let you know something this morning. The book of Genesis is still true. Did you know that? Did you know the book of Genesis is still true today? And in particular, let me just point this out. Genesis 1 through 11 is still true today. In fact, it's, it's, it's not It's not some fairy tale. It's not allegory. It's not myth. It's not what a lot of people want to make it to be. It's foundational to your understanding of Scripture. God's Word, church, let's understand this. God's Word is not some buffet where you can pick and choose what you like and what you don't like, what you think you believe and what you, ah, this this doesn't sound right. No. It is all of God. This is His inspired Word. It is without error all the way through. So where you may not understand, where you may not think, wow, that's, that's hard to gather. That's hard to fathom. The problem is not God. This is God's perfect word. The problem may rest with you and me, right? Our lack of understanding, our lack of relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will continue to point us to the things of Christ. Christ. Do you believe that he's the creator of all things? Do you believe that he created man and woman? Not we ourselves. He who has made us, not we ourselves. There are no self-made men. You were brought into being. Men, you started out as a bunch of dirt. Genesis chapter 2. I didn't make that up. Genesis chapter 2. God took some dirt. You made that first man. Women, you came from the rib of the man. Remember that? And you came at a time, you were fashioned at a time when God said that it was not good for man to be alone. Do you remember that? Genesis chapter 2. God is the creator of all things and that includes male and female. The psalmist says also, look at this in the text. That we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We are his on two accounts. Let's let's make sure we're clear on this. He created us and he recreated us in Christ Jesus. Okay? He bought us with a price. Contextually, the psalmist is speaking of his people. Let me ask the question it's a question you ought to ask as you read the text. Of whom does he speak here? His people. Would it not be the people of Israel? The sheep of his pasture, God's treasured possession, his people. So if the psalmist is contextually speaking of Israel, where do you and I, where do we fit into this psalm? That's a good question. That's a question I hope we ask that question. You know, I was reminded in John's gospel, chapter 10, in verses 14 through 16, Jesus says these words. He says, I am the good shepherd. The imagery is the same as what we're reading about right here in Psalm 100, verse 3. He says, "I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." Listen to this. "And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice." Do you see? Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all the lands. All the earth. We've been invited. Come. Praise the Lord. How is it that I can be one of His sheep? I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So, having received an invitation to come into His presence, I must know with ever increasing awareness that the Lord, He is God, a constant submitting of the Father's will in my life. You see, that was the way Jesus operated while He was here on earth. A regular and welcomed coming under his authority. We we live in a culture that despises authority in many ways. But yet the word calls us to come under the authority of the king of kings. Verse 4. How else do we worship this king? Not only do we serve him. Not only do we sing to him. Not only do we submit to him. But verse 4. Sacrifice. To him, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You see, when you sing, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. When you sing those words. Is there any recognition of a biblical basis for such a song? You see, the psalmist here is speaking to how we enter into worship. We were singing in the van on the way over here this morning. And that just, uh, me personally, that, that's one way to enter in, to help enter into the building, if you will, for our time on Sunday morning of worship. To prepare our heart to enter in with thanksgiving enter his gates and his courts with thanksgiving and praise you see thanksgiving church is not a day but it ought to always fill the life of a follower of Jesus when you come inside the building and perhaps even this morning when you came inside the building in what manner did you do so did you come prepared and ready to worship the Lord to give him thanks to praise his name The Bible addresses some preparatory work in our lives. There's, hey, there's a lot that can go wrong. I'm a testimony to that this morning. We're getting ready to leave. We can't find a shoe. We're in the van and we're on the road just outside our house. We're on the road and two toothbrushes didn't get used this morning. So we got to go in and we got to get toothbrushes to brush some teeth. I know it happens. That being said, there is preparatory work needs to happen as we enter in. We see, we need to understand that it is a sacrifice to prepare for our time of worship. Christ sacrificed, church, his own life on the cross. He willingly gave of himself and laid down his life for the sheep. Worship is costly. It demands your time. It demands your attention. It will require sacrifice. Let me ask, what are you bringing to the Lord as you enter into the gates on a Sunday morning? What do you have to offer the Lord as you enter his courts? You know, I'm afraid some of you have been entering God's house empty handed. I'm reminded in the Bible when the people of God and they journeyed to the holy city on those three annual feasts. Remember that? They would journey and they were told that they were to come to have something to offer. They could not come empty-handed. Worship demands sacrifice. I was reminded of this in the life of Abraham. And you remember the story of Abraham. How he experienced a bit of sacrifice as he was instructed to climb Mount Moriah with his long-awaited promised son, Isaac. The sacrifice on this day would be Isaac. And Abraham, by faith, bound his only son and prepared to walk up that mountain out of obedience to the Father. God showed up on that mountain. He intervened and he provided the substitute lamb for the sacrifice. See worship costs something. See, if we only really, truly understood what it cost for you and for me to be redeemed by the blood of the lamb, I believe. I believe our, our lives would be altered drastically. I think many of us live our lives and we turn our head, we forsake. What God did for us and providing that perfect substitution, Jesus Christ, for our sins. One writer says, in speaking of this Psalm 100, we have forgotten what a privilege it is to meet with God. We forget that the invitation to come into His presence is a formerly uncommon and staggering invitation. In the days of Israel, only the high priest was able to go into God's presence. And then only once a year, only prophets spoke to God with regularity. The idea of being invited into his presence was too incredible to imagine. And that church, that invitation has been extended to us. We should not take it for granted. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks to what this gentleman just shared. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, how? By the blood of Jesus. That's our access, the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. Remember the temple veil? Remember that veil, that big curtain? Well, the Hebrew writer here is talking about a veil, but notice the veil. That is, his flesh. That's Christ. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us come. The invitation is to come. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The call is to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then it says to be thankful to him. You see, we enter with a spirit of thanksgiving in our heart. And when we do so, it manifests itself in words. And that can come through song, that can come through prayer, come through testimony. Another example of what comes out of the mouth, being rooted in the heart. Perhaps nothing comes out of your mouth. Men, because there's very little thanksgiving in your heart as you enter into his presence with the Lord's people. Be thankful. Bless his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord. The psalmist concludes in verse 5, providing a why behind our worship. Why? Why why do we worship the Lord? This is good. (laughs) You know, this Psalm 100 in so many ways is so simple. It's so simple, but yet it's so profound. Why worship the Lord? For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Some of your translations read His steadfast love is everlasting or His faithfulness endures. Those fit as well. (laughs) It's true. The invitation to worship the Lamb of glory goes out to all the earth. And our worship is expressed through serving Him. Coming before his presence with singing, knowing that the Lord, he is truly God, creator of all things, great shepherd of his sheep. And we worship as we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. We worship the Lord by giving thanks to him, by blessing his name. And so why then the need to do all this? Why? The psalmist concludes, he's very clear, verse 5, for the Lord is good. Can anyone here give testimony to the Lord's goodness in their life? I would hope all of us could raise our hand, and say yes to that. Amen. You see, there are people in this assembly who have gone through some difficult trials. And you know who you are. You've gone through some difficult trials. And yet I know many of you who have gone through those trials. Maybe some of you are still in those trials, at least in part. Even though things perhaps haven't turned out like you would like to turned out you would have maybe chosen if you were given the free pass and making the choice maybe you would have chosen something differently but things didn't turn out like you had hoped you can still say without a doubt that the lord is good you see you've seen the lord show up in your life you've seen his faithfulness toward you and your family you have been the recipient of many prayers. And the Lord has been good to see you through your trials. That's the Lord's goodness. He sees you through those trials. See, in light of his goodness, church. Why would anyone be hesitant to give worship to this king? I'm reminded of the lyrics of a song. I bring an offering of worship to my king. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering. I bring an offering to you. And may our lives be an offering to him. See, his goodness is characterized, according to the psalm, by his mercy, his steadfast love, and his truth, his faithfulness. I want you to notice that his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. All generations. Oh, there's some of you here today. Some of you here today that are are hurting because you find yourself in the midst of wondering maybe where some of your children are at with the Lord. Some of you are thinking about generations, and and you're thinking long-term, and you're thinking about what's going to be happening down the road, and there's maybe some concern about all that. I want you to show, I want you to see here, because I I think the text shows us very clearly, I want you to see how good this God is that we serve through Jesus Christ. I'm going to do something a little bit different for just a moment, but it's to make the point of the text. I'd like to ask, Ralph, if you could come forward for just a moment. And, Kalen, if you could come forward for just a moment. And, uh, let's see, is, is Jacob around or he, he scooted out with Joe? He must have scooted out with Joe. That's okay. Gary, come up here for just a moment. And, uh, Caleb, come here. Father, son, I'm going to come here for just a moment. And just, if, if you guys will, just come right up here. You're not going to have to talk or anything, I promise. Just just stand up here. Okay. Ralph, why don't you come over here, Ralph? Yep, right here's good. Kaylin, you can be right here. Gary, you can be right here. Caleb, you be right here. I bring these four men up here. I want you to see something. I want you to imagine these men are representatives of four generations. Okay? Now, I don't want anybody to get upset on who's going to get what generation. <laughs> I'm making a visual picture here. That's all I'm doing. I, noticed the order. I know the order. I knew you'd say something. I knew you'd say something, brother. Sorry. Let's just say, for example's sake, we got grandfather, -grandfather. (laughs) great-grandfather. We got grandfather. We've got father. We've got son. Now, church, I want you to see something. Stand here for just a moment. If we just take each generation representative of 25 years, How many years? Let's do some quick math. How many years are we looking at right here? 100 years. 100 years. I want you to see something. God's steadfast love and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. All the days of your life. And you see, this God that we serve is worthy of worship and praise. He has promised to be faithful and true to all generations. He is good not just in your generation, Ralph. As great grandfather, but in the next generation down the line. He is good, not just in your generation, Caleb, as grandfather, but he's also good in the next generation down the line. He's good, not just in your generation, Gary, as father, but he's good in the next generation down the line. And, Caleb, I want you to know something. God is good, not just in your generation, but in that next generation yet to come. Amen? Guys, you can take a seat. Church, I want you to see something. This God that we serve, he is good through all generations. Generations. Dad and mom, you might think you've just dropped the ball. You might think you're miserable. You may think all these bad things about yourself because of what you've not done as a parent. I want you to know that the God who has invited you in is a God who has love and mercy, His truth, His faithfulness endures through all generations. That's good news. Church, would you agree that the Lord is good? The Lord is good, and He's working good in your lives. Those who love the Lord, He is working. The Bible says all things for good, and He is about sanctifying and drawing you ever more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Why the need to worship the Lord, Church? It's really this simple. It's really this simple. God is good. pray oh father thank you thank you for your invitation for inviting us in to your presence that we might give you praise that we might bring thanksgiving that we might with our lives and with the time that you allot us here Worship you. Oh, Father, I pray we would learn much of this psalm. That as we continue in our days, Lord, not knowing the number of our days, that Father, we'd be reminded this morning from your word to make all of our days count for you. Father, you are good and you have given to us so much. Your truth, your mercy, they endure and last forever. Father, for that we're grateful. I pray we'd be reminded of the generations and how you work and how your love goes out to the generations, those who have not yet even been born. Father, what good news we have this morning as we come and open your word. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would cause us and encourage us, Lord, to walk by faith, not by sight, to trust and to hold on to you for all things, to trust in the Lord. Father, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength, may we worship God through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.